You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you, Krista. We'll be in Psalm 23, so if you have a copy of God's Word, turn it on or flip it open, but would love for you to have these words in front of you. I I wonder if you were to describe what your experience of God has been. What has your experience with God been? I assume that maybe some in here would would answer in different ways. How would you describe that experience? Some would maybe... Um, have a, kind of a negative view there. They've seen God as sort of judgmental or angry or frustrated or like an oppressive father. Some people maybe would say, my experience has been more like God is like a cosmic Santa Claus and uh, I ask him for things and he gives me things and uh, if I'm a good boy. Uh, I wonder what, uh, what picture you would give to describe what your experience with God has been. Uh, if you were to make a, a Mount Rushmore of Bible characters, you would probably have to put David or consider David putting, on, putting him on there as one of the most prominent, important characters in all of the scriptures. Uh, the, the Bible says that he's a man after God's own heart. And so I think that if we were to ask David, if we were in some way to be able to get him on Zoom and have a conversation with him and say, David, describe your experience with God. I think he would say, it's like a shepherd and a sheep. The Lord has been my shepherd. And I think that's what Psalm 23 here is. Is David, I think, is towards the end of his life. And he's thinking back on all that the Lord has done for him. All the Lord has done in him. And I think that he is describing what his experience with God is like. And he looks back and he thinks, the Lord has been like a shepherd to me. And I have been like a sheep to him. And so that's going to be the title of our message today is Experiencing God, because uh, we can have the same experience as David and know the Lord is our shepherd and be found contented, comforted, and confident in being his sheep. So I want you to think of those three words. Experiencing God brings contentedness, comfort, and confidence because of how the shepherd leads his sheep. Uh, The New City Catechism, question number one says, what is our only hope in life and death? And the answer is this, that we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's really the spirit of this psalm. Um, Why This is one of the most beloved passages in all of Scripture. There are people who, who maybe don't even know a single book of the Bible, but know lines from this psalm. Uh, it, has, uh, it has done many amazing things. There's a preacher named Harriet Ward Beecher in the 1800s, and here's what he said. I love this. Let me just read it to you because he says it so well. He says, Psalm 23 has charmed more griefs to rest than any philosophy of the world. It has remanded to their dungeon more felon thoughts, more black doubts, more thieving sorrows than there are sands on the seashore. It has comforted the noble host of the poor, It has sung courage to the enemy of the disappointed. It has poured medicine and consolation onto the heart of the sick, of captives in dungeons, of widows in their pinching griefs, of orphans in their loneliness. Dying soldiers have died easier as it was read to them. Ghastly hospitals have been illuminated. It has visited the prisoner. It has broken his chains. It, like Peter's angel, led him forth in imagination and sung back to him his home again. It has made the dying Christian slave freer than his master, and consoled those whom dying he left behind mourning, not so much that he is gone, but because they were left behind and could not go to their shepherd. J. 
James Montgomery Boyce says, millions of people have memorized this psalm. Even those who know few other scriptures, ministers have used it to comfort people who are going through severe personal trials, suffering illness, or dying. For some, the words of the psalm have been some of the last they have ever heard or uttered in their life. It's the most common six verses read at funerals anywhere. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, says this is the pearl of the psalms. This is the prettiest and most valuable of the Psalms. It's the great 23. If you've watched the Michael Jordan documentary, they say that 23 is the greatest. Psalm 23 is perhaps the greatest of the Psalms, the Michael Jordan of the Psalms, the greatest of them all. So my hope for you today in these next minutes that we're going to spend together is that you'll enter into this Psalm personally. That because of Jesus Christ, you will experience God in this same way. That every word would, would resonate with you. And that one day, when it's read at your funeral, it'll be an accurate summary of your life. That's my hope for us today. What I want us to notice as we go through this is going to be three different points that I'm going to bring out to us today. But I want you to notice the initiative of the shepherd and then the response of the sheep. The shepherd always takes the lead. He always initiates and the sheep responds. That's the beauty of a relationship with God is that we don't work our way to God. We don't climb a ladder. We don't have to go looking for him. He comes looking for us and he initiates with us and we respond. So I want you to notice that, that we're going to lead with seeing how the shepherd uh, initiates and then how the sheep responds in three ways. Verses one through three, my shepherd feeds and leads me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Therefore, as you see up there, I am contented and follow him faithfully. That's what you see in those three verses, right? Is this sense of contentment. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord there is the personal covenant name of God, the covenant-keeping God, Yahweh. So he's saying Yahweh, not just God in general, but Yahweh, the God of the Bible, the God of the covenants, the God who keeps his promises. I'm not talking about just any generic God. You can't just substitute Allah in there. You can't just substitute some other God in there. It is the personal God of the Bible who is here, the Lord, Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want. A little girl in Sunday school one time misquoted it, and she said this, the Lord is my shepherd, I've got all I want which is exactly what that line means. I shall not want, meaning my shepherd knows what I need and he gives me what I need. John Newton says, everything is needful that he sends and nothing can be needful that he withholds. Some of you just need to take that sentence and forget the rest of the sermon. Like nothing, everything needful he sends, nothing that is needful he withholds. The word shepherd there is interesting, that the shepherd, shepherd in, in no country is seen as like a prominent position. There's nobody that's like, hey, I'm going to leave my prominent job and go become a shepherd. A shepherd is always one of the lower professions, one of the least lucrative professions in any culture at any time. And I, th- I find it fascinating that God is not offended at all to be called a shepherd, David was a shepherd. David understands it. He's been a king. He doesn't say the Lord is my king, although that would be true. He doesn't say the Lord is my warrior or my general, although he was, David was both of those things, understood those things. He says the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord comes down to the lowly places. The Lord comes down. And the Lord has preserved that as scripture here to go, yes, I'm very happy to take on the title of shepherd, particularly shepherd of you. The word my there is, is uh, what Spurgeon calls the sweetest word in the entire psalm is the word my. Because it's personal. The Lord is my shepherd. He's not just the shepherd, but he's my shepherd. My personal, Josh Brown's shepherd. King David's shepherd. And he is a sheep. The sweetest word there in the whole verse, in the whole chapter, is the word my. The Lord, Yahweh, is my personal shepherd. Sweet, sweet words. It says, he, li- he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. So, so he's now carrying out the shepherd imagery that the shepherd is leading. 
So the shepherd is going where it's good, and the sheep is following. The sheep never gets ahead of the shepherd. The sheep doesn't care where he's going because he knows where the shepherd's going, right? All I have to do is follow the shepherd. I trust the shepherd. And so he, he says, but here has been my experience, is that he leads me to green pastures. He, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. There's a book called A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23 by a man named Philip Keller, who's a man who's just been a longtime shepherd who then kind of walks through this passage and goes, let me connect this with uh, the shepherding experience. And he makes the point that sheep will not lay down until they've eaten enough. And so the idea here is that they're well-fed and they're contented. Laying down in green pastures because my shepherd takes me to good places to eat. He feeds me. And he leads me beside still waters. Rushing waters, a sheep could easily trip, could be sucked in. Um, and so he leads them by waters that are safe. A sheep cannot be content if it's thirsty. I don't know if you've been around a thirsty sheep, but they're noisy and very discontented. And he points out, this Philip Keller says, points out that sometimes stubborn sheep will not wait for the clear, pure, pure, pure water of the shepherd that the shepherd's leading them to. They will stop to drink from polluted potholes along the trail. They'll get impatient with the shepherd sometimes. And just take whatever muddy mess is available instead of trusting their shepherd. And inevitably, that water may be contaminated with manure or urine. And they may get parasites or they may get some sort of something into their respiratory system, parasites or disease. They pay the price for instant gratification by not trusting their shepherd to lead them to healthy water. It says, he restores my soul. The, 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 Greek, the Hebrew word there, restore, means to turn back or refresh. Jesus says that he's the shepherd that, that leaves the 99 and goes after the one. And so he's saying this is the kind of shepherd that re has rescued my life time and time again. I'm so prone to wander and I'm the kind of shepherd or I'm the kind of sheep that, that thinks I can go my own way. I can do this myself and he restores my soul, meaning he regularly grabs my life and pulls me back into the fold. This is a shepherd who is constantly having to watch me because I'm so prone to wander. And he has again and again restored my soul, saved my life. Come after me. He leads me on paths of righteousness. So following the shepherd is to walk in righteousness. He doesn't lead me into sin. He leads me in paths of righteousness. That means kind of two things. One, the, the path that the shepherd leads me is always right. It's always right. To follow him, no matter what the path, is always right but it also is a righteous path for me. His path will always be righteousness. It won't lead me into sin. And here's what's amazing. Uh, it, well, every sheep is, then, each one of us, is going to be struggling yet repenting. Always struggling towards righteousness, right? But that's what makes us genuine sheep, is though we trip and fall, we stay on the path of our shepherd, right? We stay on the path of our shepherd. And then here, listen to this, the very last few words of, the, of chapter 3, or verse 3. He says, for his namesake. What is the reason that the shepherd feeds and leads me? Because he's so impressed with me? No. But for his own namesake. God's reputation is tied to his care of me. And my walking in righteousness reflects on what kind of God he is. So God is the kind of shepherd that cares for me, not just because he loves me, although that's true, but because he loves his reputation as the good shepherd. He wants others to know what kind of shepherd he is and to come into the flock. He wants other sheep to go, I, I want to be in his pasture because I see what that sheep is experiencing, right? And so our righteousness, God ties his name to our walking with him. Which means then when we sin, when we walk off the path of righteousness, we are in a sense telling the world, this is not a good shepherd. Which is why sin is so egregious. And why God is so motivated to take such good care of us. Because his name's on the line. Moses does this several times where he calls out to God, God, after the, I think it was the golden calf, or I forget which, which time, the Israelites many times grumbled against God. But God said, basically, God told Moses, says, let me just destroy them and I'll start a nation with you. And Moses is like, wait a minute, 
what kind of God would you be? Like you just delivered them from the Egyptians and then you're going to destroy them? Your name would be, your name would be terrible in the world. And it works. And that's what God wanted to hear, is that the, the renown of his name, his reputation, is so important. Now that's such security for you and me because you and I are, are relatively ugly sheep. We, if we were the point of Christ's shepherding, if we were the point of God's shepherding, I think if I was God, I would lose interest very quickly. But the fact is, is that he has so invested the reputation of his name in his care for you that you're more secure than you could ever imagine. Because God's holding up both ends of the deal. I'm doing it to be good to you, but I'm also doing it for the good of my name, and you just get to be in that sweet zone in the middle, right? Of being transformed and loved because he's doing it and it's for his name. Therefore, we walk with him. Charles Simeon, great preacher from many hundred years ago, he said, It is his own glory that he has consulted in all his dealings toward us, and especially in that astonishing patience and forbearance which he has exercised towards us from day to day. So why is God patient with us? For the sake of his name. Our backslidings have been so grievous, and our departures from him so frequent, that we might well have been left to perish in our sins. But he considers that his own honor is involved in the preservation of his sheep. And therefore, he has never withdrawn his loving kindness from us or ceased to watch over us for our good. It is on no other principle that we can account that our, of our recoveries when fallen, our preservation from 10,000 evils that we've committed, if we have not been guided and upheld by him. And he's doing it for his own glory, and that's amazing security for you and me. God's name is bound up in our walk as believers. He has chosen to identify him, his holy name with us. If we live just like the world, we cause his name to be blasphemed. He doesn't look like the good shepherd he is. But for his namesake, he guides us in paths of righteousness. Another commentator put it this way, but why is it that this great shepherd will do such great things for me? Is it because he finds me to be of a sounder, more beautiful sheep than the others and have fewer blemishes than some other ones? No, for I am nothing but blemishes all over. But he will do it for his name's sake. For seeing that he has taken upon him the name of good shepherd, he will now discharge that whatever his sheep may be. No matter what kind of sheep you are, he is assured to be a good shepherd. So let's look at verse 4. Verse 4. My shepherd protects and corrects me. Verse 4. Now we go from the green pastures, still waters, contentment, happy life, to verse 4. Sure, he's a good shepherd in the good times, but look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So in the green pastures, he is good and sweet to me. And in the dark valleys of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Why? Because your rod and your staff comfort me. Therefore, I am comforted and walk fearlessly with him. So if he's going to, in the first three verses, feed and lead me, then I will be contented and follow faithfully. And here in verse 4, my shepherd protects and corrects me. Therefore, I am comforted and will walk with him fearlessly. Notice the switch from him to you. He's switching from the third person. He's talking about God in verses 1 through 3. But now it becomes personal in the valley, in the suffering, in the moments of death. It becomes you are with me. That's where we get to know God is in the hard times. We don't get to know God in the easy times. It's the hard times that it goes from being generic God to my God. You, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. John Piper says that we ought not talk long about God without quickly talking to God. That's what happens here. First three verses, he's talking about God, and then immediately he begins to talk to God. His talking about God becomes talking to God. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we see the switch here. From good times to hard times, even the hardest of times, death. John Piper also says this. He says, there's a danger in the green pasture that we will love the grass more than the shepherd. We will love what he provides. We'll love the gift more than the giver. That's where the valley 
can be a real asset. The benefit of the valley and suffering is that the shepherd becomes deeply and intimately personal because he's all you've got, right? So there are dangers in the green pastures to love the pastures more than the shepherd. But one of the benefits of the valley is the shepherd's all you've got and he's enough. There's comfort in the scary realities. He says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. What's the reason? Because you make it easy? Because the valley's quick and short? No, because you're with me. I'm not alone. I don't know if you've ever sat with someone as they die, but it's a, it's a, very, uh, it's a very strange experience because there's a point at which they take their last breath, the, their heart stops, and they're, they're going. And there's, there's no one going with them, right? And that's what's sweet about this is that for those that have trusted in Christ, they don't through, journey through death alone. The Lord is with them. What a terrifying thing. What a terrifying thing to face death alone. And here is the sweetness, is that for the person who is God's sheep, they walk through death with God. God can go with them. That's one of the beauties of the death and resurrection of Jesus is that Jesus has gone all the way through death to resurrection. And so now, the moment when we die, everybody else will be left. But the hand of Jesus will say, I know the way. I have been through this to the other side, and I'm with you. No one can go with you but God. So he fears no evil. I know what's on the other side. My shepherd's on the other side. He's with me. Spurgeon says this, death is not the house, but the porch. The goal of the porch is to get into the house. The dying article is called the valley. The storm breaks on the mountain, but the valley is the place of quietude. Death is something you pass through to get to the place, right? And that's why this is verse 4, is because we're going to get to verse 5 and 6, dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The psalm doesn't stop with verse 4 with death. Death is a doorway. It's the porch into the house, and the Lord leads us in. There's a, um, a story I came across that uh, one gentleman was on vacation in this rural district and came across a little boy who was tending sheep, a little shepherd boy. And he came to the boy and he said, have you ever heard of the Lord as my shepherd? You're a little shepherd boy. Have you heard that the Lord is your shepherd? And he's like, I've never heard that. And so he had the little boy lift up his hand. He started with his thumb and he says, okay, this is how you remember it each one of your fingers, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And the ring finger is the my. We talked about the my, right? And so he's like, whenever, you know, you're out there and you're afraid or something's going on, shared the gospel with this, this person and just said, if you are trusting in Jesus, the Lord is my shepherd. And so whenever, whenever you're facing something scary, you can grab your ring finger and just remember that the Lord is my shepherd. Well, some months later, the boy loved this, remembered this, talked about it all the time, and was out tending his sheep one day when a blizzard came up and he got caught in the blizzard. And the boy died in the blizzard. And when they found him, he was holding his ring finger. The Lord had walked him through death, had been his shepherd through the valley. A preacher then began to share this story uh, with someone else some years later. And an old kind of grumpy man, <laughs> I'm kind of summarizing the story here, happened to hear this man preach and heard the, the Lord is my shepherd and heard the testimony of the little boy, the little shepherd boy. And when that man, several months later, was dying, he was grabbing his ring finger. So that man's vacation, telling this boy about the Lord is my shepherd, that boy, even in his death, was witnessing of the goodness of the shepherd. And the preacher then telling that story helped this man walk with his shepherd through death. And maybe even that story is an encouragement to you. The Lord is my shepherd. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, your, they comfort me. Now, the rod and the staff of the shepherd are used to do two things. One, it's to swat the predators away. And another, it's to swat the sheep into order. Keep them moving. So the shepherd is protecting him. That's why we say protect and corrects. But he's also sometimes that little, 
that little staff would have a hook on it. And when that sheep's straying or about to fall into the water or something like that, the shepherd is attentive and could hook the sheep, could correct the sheep, could keep the sheep moving if they're not moving. And so the shepherd has in his staff, and he finds comfort in the fact that the Lord disciplines me sometimes. Sometimes he protects me. Sometimes he kind of swats me on the head, keeps me moving, hooks me, and pulls me back. That's not always pleasant, but it brings me comfort to know that my shepherd is watching. He's caring for me. He's with me. The Lord disciplines those he loves. And so your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I know that I am protected, and I will be corrected if I'm going someplace dangerous. Verses 5 and 6, my shepherd serves and honors me. Look at this, verses 5 and 6. This, my shepherd serves and honors me. So we've gone through the valley, of shadow, the valley of shadow of death, right? We've been in the good pasture. We've been in the valley of the shadow of death. Now we're coming out of the valley. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So here we have the idea of the shepherd being like a gracious host who set a banquet meal right? Set a banquet meal. And look at his attentiveness. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So even when it feels like everything's coming around me, there is a peace in knowing that the Lord is feeding me. He's sustaining me. So I can sit at this table, almost looking in the eyes of, my, of the predators, and have confidence in knowing that that predator can't do a thing to me because the shepherd's with me. I was watching on Facebook, uh, there's this video of this gazelle swimming through these waters in Africa or something, and there's these crocodiles that are like just eyeing him. And he's just swimming along, no big deal. And on the, on the coast or on the, on the beach there is some hyenas, and they're just kind of like watching. And nobody does anything. The gazelle just keeps going, goes up on it, and runs off. What you don't see until later in the video is that there was a hippo right behind the gazelle. You couldn't see that. You're like, this is insane. How is this gazelle? But that, that hippo... The presence of that hippo kept all enemies at bay, and that gazelle had no fear. And that's kind of how it is, right? In our lives, we can't always see what God's doing, but we can have the confidence that the presence of our shepherd is near, so we can sit at the table, regardless of how the enemies are encroaching, and enjoy our meal, because his presence is there. The enemies know that. We don't always feel it. We don't always sense it. Sometimes other people look at us and go, why do you have peace in this moment? Well, there is an unseen God who is with me, and he's prepared a table, and I'm going to enjoy my food, right? This gazelle, it was just an amazing video, and it's a great picture of this. There's a table prepared before us in the presence of our enemies. God is tremendously hospitable. God is a hospitality-driven God. Look at the next line in verse 5. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So uh, this, this guy, the shepherds look at uh, Psalm 23. Here's what he says about this. I think there's maybe a dual meaning here. Uh, shepherds anoint sheep with oil to heal their wounds and to keep the flies and bugs off, particularly around their face. Sheep cannot lie contentedly if insects are always swarming around their nostrils or ears or open wounds. And so the shepherd would pour some oil on them. And so this is the idea of the shepherd have such an attentiveness that he's, he's picking the fleas out of the wool. And he's pouring some oil in the wounds. So as they prepare for the banquet table, there's also a healing. There's also like an attentiveness. Let me, let me, let me pull all of these little, little things out of your eyes, all of these annoyances, all these different things. And so this, that is while you're feasting at the table, he is tending to you. He is cleansing you. He is, he, is, he, is, he is caring for every single little detail. And then it says, my cup overflows. Some of you, I've sat, I've, had, I've, had, I've sat at the restaurant with you, and you love to make sure that that waitress or waiter keeps that coffee cup full because you're insane and you're addicted to coffee. No, but that's, that's the idea of a good waiter or waitress, right? Isn't that frustrating when you're enjoying your meal and your drink is gone and you can't really enjoy your meal very well, right? But this is the kind of thing is that God is like, God is just like there and he is, he is tending to us. And our cup is never empty. No matter how much we drink, there's always more grace. The more, the thirstier we are, the more we have. My cup overflows. There's enough for me to give some to somebody else, right? My cup overflows. 
And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And so if you think of a flock, you got the little sheepdogs behind, right? Kind of keeping things in order, protecting from behind and guiding the sheep. That's kind of the idea I think here is that surely goodness and mercy will have my backside, right? The idea is to pursue. Not like they're following at a distance, but they're pursuing. Goodness and mercy is chasing me down and guarding me from behind. And it will follow me all the days of my life. I don't have to worry about anything sneaking up on me because the goodness and mercy, like the good sheepdogs, are keeping me, are holding me, are pursuing me. And then the great line at the very end, the best thing is that I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The best part about heaven is not the streets of gold, not that you're going to see your grandma again, not that you hope to see your goldfish or whatever. It's the fact that you're with God. That's what makes heaven heaven. If, you, if heaven was everything you always wanted, but God wasn't there, that would be miserable. What David is excited about is that he's going to be with God. He's going to be with God. So you have this idea, this banquet, um, this banquet host, that God is like the eternal banquet host that is caring so deeply for us. Derek Kidner says this, he says, In the Old Testament world, to eat and drink at someone's table created a bond of mutual loyalty and could be the culminated token of covenant. So to be God's guest is to be more than an acquaintance. It is an invitation to live with him forever. Spurgeon says this, While I am here, I will be a child at home with my God. The whole world shall be his house to me. And then I ascend into the upper chamber. I shall not change my company nor even change the house. I shall go to dwell in the upper story. So he's talking about this world. We can, have, we can live in the presence of God in this world. And then we can go upstairs to heaven where God is and enjoy, enjoy our God. Like a child that goes up and enjoys time with their father. Uh, there's a book that's been out called Lone Survivor. It's about fallen heroes of SEAL Team 10. And uh, one of the authors in it talks about teamwork, teamwork, teamwork. This is a quote. This all comes back to what the ironclad seal folklore, we never leave a man behind on the battlefield, dead or alive. Right? That's just ingrained into every, um, every SEAL team member. And here's what he says, which I found interesting. He says, we never leave behind a man on the battlefield. No man is ever alone. Whatever the risk to the living, however deadly the opposing fire, seals fight through the jaws of death to recover the remains of a fallen comrade. He goes on to say this. It's a strange thing, really, because it's not designed to help the widows and parents of lost men. That's not why we do it. It's designed for the seals who actually do the fighting. There's something about coming home. And we all want to achieve that. But there is a certain private horror about being killed and then being left in a foreign land. No grave at home. No loved ones to visit your final resting place. And he ends and says, I know it sounds crazy, but nonetheless it's true. Every one of us treasures the knowledge. No matter what will happen, I will not be left behind. I will not be alone. I will be taken home. And that's what verse 6 tells us. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You won't be left behind. If the Lord is your shepherd, he will take you home. You will not left behind. And you can genuinely say, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want you to go to John 10 as we close. Because Jesus picks this up so beautifully. We could go to so many passages where the shepherd metaphor goes. But John 10 would be a, a real shame to not see this in John 10. So we're going to kind of land the plane here looking at John 10. But Jesus takes this upon himself. John 10, verses 3 and 4, Jesus feeds and leads you with his voice. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. The Psalm 23 shepherd came to earth. He came for us. And John 10, here's what he says. Jesus feeds and leads you with his voice. John 10, 33 and 4. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him and they know his voice. So the good shepherd Jesus leads you with his voice. He feeds and leads you with his voice. So feast 
on the words of Jesus and follow them. Secondly, in John 10, 7 through 13, Jesus protects and corrects you with his presence. Look at what he says. So Jesus said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and is not a shepherd, who does not know the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So when the danger comes, the hireling runs away. Every other shepherd will abandon you. But no, when the, when the wolf comes, I will lay down my life. This Jesus never leaves his sheep. He's the door. Jesus serves and honors you with his death and resurrection in verses 14 through 18. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. No greater service and honor than someone would die for you. And for that, that one to die, to be the covenant-keeping God, Yahweh, is of un, a tremendous honor and tremendous service. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I died for more than just you. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up, this charge I've received from my Father. And then he summarizes all three of those points in in, uh, verses 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So you can take Psalm 23 and say, My Jesus, Jesus is my shepherd. I shall not want. Jesus makes me lie down in green pastures. Jesus leads me beside still waters. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Jesus is with me. Jesus prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies, and I will dwell in the house of Jesus forever. So, friends, find contentment in the leadership of Jesus' voice. Hear his call and answer. Find comfort in the security of Jesus' presence, even in death. Find confidence in the eternal life given to you through the death and resurrection of Jesus. You can have contentment, comfort, and confidence because Jesus is your shepherd. Turn away from all other shepherds, all other avenues of contentment, comfort, and confidence, and experience God like this through Jesus Christ. If you look at the Psalms, Psalm 22, 23, and 24. Psalm 22 we looked at a few weeks ago. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We have the cross. In Psalm 23, the very next Psalm, we have the shepherd. So because he went to the cross, he is now my good shepherd. And Psalm 24 says that who will who will raise the door for this king of glory? Let the king of glory enter. And so those three psalms go together. Cross, care for us, and one day victory for eternity with our good king. He is the sacrifice, he is the shepherd, and he is the reigning king. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these sweet words, and we pray that you would, we would take them to heart. Lord, I pray that every person in here would at first want this to be true. <laughs> oh, man, I don't think we come to Jesus until we want what's true about him to be true. We want it to be true. So Lord, I pray that you'd create the desire even in the hearts of the people here to want this kind of shepherd. And then Lord, I pray that they would see it in Jesus, that they would see the words of scripture, they would hear the voice of Jesus, they would feel the presence of Jesus, they would understand his death and resurrection can give them confidence that no matter what comes, you are their shepherd. Lord, be the shepherd of every person in here. May we be your sheep. In Jesus' name, amen.
Okay, thank you. You can be seated for a few minutes here. Uh, Jacob is there. Can you look on there? There's no questions posted on there. Okay, good. I didn't get any on my phone either, so we're just at your mercy. Or if you want to step in a little bit, I noticed last week that you were off screen and you were the mysterious voice of the Spirit, I think. I was like the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Um, So I have a few questions and then I'll I'll open it up to you guys. So uh, if there's something that comes to your mind, feel free to uh, uh, formulate a question. Um, So one of the things that you spent a little time on God's name and reputation uh, being a a source of comfort, uh, some people definitely will look at the God of the Old Testament and say, He's kind of egotistical, right? You'd kind of be like, wouldn't you rather say, because God sees that you are in need, and so he's compassionate or whatever, or something like that. Why his, I mean, does, is, he, is he egotistical? That it's like, I do this because of me. You know, how would you address someone who? I think it's wrong for us to have that aspect because we're not God. Yeah. So for God to be God-centered makes perfect sense because he's God. Mm-hmm. Who else would he put at the center? so if God were to put anything else other than center he would make that thing God and he would be an idolater so the fact that God does everything with God at the center makes perfect sense and it's wrong for us this is why we have a hard time with it it's wrong for us because we're not God so Mm -hmm. it's idolatrous for us to have the attitude of like I'm going to do this for my name's sake well that's that's uh, that's wrong because our name's not ultimate but God's name is ultimate so it's actually it actually makes sense if he's going to be God and God deserves to be at the center, that God would be at the center, and that would not be a problem at all. So the fact that he does it for his own namesake makes perfect sense when you kind of think about the fact that God's glory is the only thing that matters. And yeah. then that, that makes it, that makes, um, that's what makes, uh, I think, our security so strong, is that it's now not dependent on me. It's not my performance or how beautiful I am. God has set his affections on me, and it's as secure as his godness. Mm-hmm. So, so while at first that maybe feels a little offensive, like, well, I kind of thought God was doing it for me. Well, yes, but in the more ultimate sense, he's doing it for his own name. And that's a much better way to live um, because I think I would get tired of me if it was about me. You know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. so I think because God's at the center, the fact that he makes his own glory the center is what makes it right for him and not right for us. But yeah, yeah. That makes sense? Yeah, yeah. I think the other factor is because it's based on grace as well, we, we can't ever say, well, you owe it to me, right? So yeah. we don't have that, maybe that sense of self-control or, That's or true. equality that, that throws it off. So, Yeah, we can't put God in our debt. Like, I did yeah. this, you've got to pay me back for that. And yeah. It's like, it was all for his glory. It's all mine anyway. Yeah, yeah. Now, <laughs> would you, yeah, so. No, that's good. Yeah. Um, so in verse 4, it says, I will fear no evil. And he's saying this, obviously, in the midst of, it doesn't mean that God isn't going to let bad things happen. So I think one of the questions a lot of people face is, well, like, if I knew that God would never let anything bad happen to me, then I, can, I wouldn't have to fear. Right. So how do, how do we, what are some practical ways of fighting fear, but also how do you make sense of, like, I'm not going to be afraid, even though God may let bad things happen to me, <laughs> you know? That's a... Yeah, that's a, a challenging question, isn't it? Yeah. I think the reason he's saying it is because it is a fearful situation. And particularly, we're talking about death, the ultimate, mm-hmm. right? Kind of the ultimate fearful thing. Uh, I will fear no evil because you are with me. So I have a good God with me. Therefore, while what might be happening to me might be evil, I don't fear that it's going to get the final word mm-hmm. or be the final end. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where the Christian goes, is that I know that whatever I'm going through is temporary because I have a good shepherd who's promised me to dwell in his house forever. There's no evil there. So that gives me strength to endure whatever because I, I don't fear evil's going to get the final word, I think is kind of the idea there. Okay. Not that there isn't evil happening, yeah. but that it won't get the final word. Yeah. So th- the psalm has a longer trajectory than my, my immediate circumstances are the... Correct. The, yeah. the reason that I can be... Yeah, you know, God's yeah. not going to promise me like I've got the big house, I've got the right, all yeah, the comfort not... that I want right in here, right now. So I, I don't have to be afraid. It's yeah. it's the longer vision. Yeah, okay. I think so. I think that's what he's getting at there. 
Okay. Um, Questions, yeah. comments out here? Right, right. Should I repeat the question for? Yeah. So uh, the question was, um, perhaps if we knew the, the original language, uh, Hebrew for fear, maybe that would change our understanding of the verse um, as to what is the nature of this fear. And I guess one question, yeah, might be, is it, I will have no fear or I will not act in fear. I don't know, is, is there clarity, do you have clarity on what do you think, like, I won't act by fear or I won't feel fear? Oh, I think we feel fear. Uh -huh. Yeah. I don't okay. think we have control over our feelings. <laughs> so, um, but I think it's like, I, I will fear no evil, meaning I, I won't succumb to that feeling. Okay. Um, and yeah, certainly fear kind of takes different connotations. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so that's a fear that's a, a slightly different species of fear than I will fear no evil here. Sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Good. Yep. I agree. That's good. Any anyone else? Anyone else? Other questions? Everybody's just hungry. Yep. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's it's his world. He's the one that accomplished the gospel. Like, <laughs> he can kind of decide what happens, but that's for our good because he is good, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's good. What? And he did die for that's right. Yeah. He did do it. He didn't just say he would do it. He did do it. Yeah. That's good. I don't have any more questions. Yep. So. I think that's that's good. Thank you. If you have other questions or just want someone to pray with you, I'll be around, um, and you can certainly grab. Any other person here, I'm sure, would be happy to pray with you. Uh, so if you'd please stand, let me give us our benediction. Thank you for being here with us. I pray that there was uh, maybe a sentence or a paragraph or line of scripture that you'll take with you this week. Um, I love what, oh, I always forget to bring my paper up here with me, so I'll just read it off the screen. Here's our benediction, these good words to send you out with from Jesus in John 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. What great security, what a great shepherd we have. Make sure you check out redeeminggrace.info, leave us a prayer request, register for next Sunday. Connect with somebody today, maybe out in the, it's not so stinking hot today. So, uh, so enjoy a little bit of fellowship before you go. Thanks for being here. You're just... Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.